We thank you, God, that you hold on to us and that you don't let go. We thank you that you are the God who not only chooses to save us and grant us redemption from our sin into your family, but that you grant us your presence. And for that, we are eternally thankful. We ask, God, that you would be with us now as we take a look at your word. We need you. We can't understand this without you. So guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but I know about me, and I know that there are times in my life where it's easier to trust God than others. There are times in my life where something has occurred or happened where my trust in God is placed at a heightened effect. Maybe I have just come through a devotional time or moment, sometimes when I'm running or walking or cycling in the morning, I feel like the Lord has spoken to me, and in that moment I just feel like, yeah, God's got this. God is directing, God is showing, God's got this. Maybe it's at a conference where I'm at and I'm there and I'm listening to someone speak and God's spirit just moves through the word into my life and I feel like, yeah, God's directing me here, God's showing me this, God's got this. And I don't know what that's looked like for you. Maybe it's the moment of salvation in your life. Maybe you remember a moment where God has gripped your heart, a time where God has saved you and that's a moment where you go, yeah, God revealed some things to me and in that I know I can trust him. Maybe it's the way he provided for you at some point. Maybe it's the way he spoke to you devotionally. Maybe it was through a time of worship or at a conference. And you felt God's presence and you heard his prodding by his spirit. You knew the direction he was going to have you. And in, in that moment you were like, I know I can trust God. And then days go by, maybe weeks, sometimes years. And you wonder where he is. You're confident you heard what he said. You're confident what you heard what he said about the house that you purchased and the blessing you would be to the neighborhood, about the business you started and the, what you thought he was leading you to in that, about how he had laid certain promises of, upon your children or your marriage or whatever it be, and you're like, God, where are you? This doesn't feel at all like what I was expecting. And in those moments of doubt, it's easy to flee from God, to turn to our own way of thinking our own strategies, and make a mess of everything. We end up trusting in us, thinking that we need to get the job done because obviously God hasn't been able to do that. That's Jacob's life till now. Jacob, as we're going through the book of Genesis, it will be in Genesis 28 today. You can turn there if you like. Jacob is older than 40. We don't know how much older, but we know that in Genesis 26, verse 34, we're told that Esau was 40 when he was married. Jacob, of course, is his younger twin, and the two of them are the same age. So we know that Jacob is now older than 40. That happened prior to his deceiving his dad for his brother's inheritance. Jacob is now a fugitive because his brother is furious that he has taken his inheritance. And so his mom said, you know what, I want you to go. Rebecca said, I want you to leave. Go back to my brother's house. Find a wife, but leave or your brother is going to kill you. Talking about family dynamics, right? We have Cain and Abel all over again. So he flees. He's a fugitive fleeing. And to this point in his life, we have no record in the book of Genesis of Jacob encountering God. It's not there. It's not there. So God has offered these promises to Abram, calling him out. Abram was married to Sarah at the time, Sarai, though they hadn't had children. Then God offers the promises to Isaac, and now Jacob's wondering, well, what about me? Is this for me? 
This was for Abraham, my grandfather. This was for Isaac, my father. Is this also for me? I'm 40-something years old. I'm unmarried. And so the prospect of children looks not too high right now. Is this for me? Is this for me? And in the midst of his fleeing from his brother, because of his own deception, he encounters God. He encounters God. Verse 10 of chapter 28. So Jacob left Beersheba, set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head. He lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching into heaven. The angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you. I will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. So Jacob comes to a certain spot. The sun is setting. It's dark. He knows he needs to camp for the night. He takes a stone. He sets it there. Certainly he puts something over the stone. If you've ever just lied on a stone, you wake up very uncomfortable the next morning. The idea is not simply that the stone was his pillow, but he laid the stone there, probably laid, you know, his cloak, something over it. And as he's sleeping, he has a dream. He sees a stairway. Some people describe it as a ladder, but it's better translated stairway. The idea is, is he can see angels ascending and descending to and from heaven. And as he sees this stairway, he sees God over. God over. Now, in your Bibles, it might say God over it. It isn't there in the original. And I think the idea here is, he just sees God over. God over the stairway, God over him. He just sees God's presence over. That's the idea. That God is over him, God is over the stairway, God has got this. And then he hears the voice of the Lord. And the Lord says, I am the Lord. I am the Lord your God. Notice of your father Abraham. He says, I want you to note, Jacob, that I consider the promises as I, that I gave Abraham, not just Isaac's, your dad's, but also yours. That what I promised Abraham also belongs to you. That's why God doesn't just say, I am the father, uh, or I am the God, sorry, of your father Isaac. He says, Abraham and Isaac. And he lets him know that I am your God. Notice, he says this, I will give you. God promises that he will actually give him certain things. He will fulfill his covenant. That's what God says. I will give you. I will give you descendants. Your descendants will be like the dust. They will spread up from the east and west. And I am with you. I will give you, and I am with you. God says, I'm not only going to grant you certain things, but I'm also going to be with you. You will have my presence. My presence is yours. And I will not leave you until, what I, until I have done what I have promised. That's what God says to him. He assures Jacob that he is with him. He tells Jacob what he will do, and he promises him his presence. Now, I want you to note two things before I move on. He says that you will be blessed so that you can be a blessing. Through you, the earth will be blessed. He says, I want you to know, Jacob, that I am blessing you so that through you, 
you will be a blessing. God's blessing to us is never an end in itself. God never blesses someone simply to bless them. God always blesses to be a blessing. God blesses so that through you, that blessing could be granted to others. So that through you, others may receive what God has granted you to them as well. But God also promises this. I will be with you and I will stay with you until what I have declared, what I have promised will happen, will come to pass. It's reminiscent of Jesus, isn't it? That after the resurrection, as Jesus is commissioning us to be a blessing, you find in John's gospel, in John's account, the Great Commission is something like this. As the Father sent me, he says to the disciples, when he appears to them in the upper room, as the Father has sent me, now I send you. As God sent me, he says, now I'm sending you. God sent me into the world to be light, to be a blessing, Jesus says. Now in my resurrected self, I'm sending you. And the Great Commission, what does he say? All authority, every single ounce of authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, teach everyone that comes to faith to obey everything I have commanded. And Jesus says what? And I am with you, how often? Always to the very end of the age. I'm with you always. And so God is with us. Like Jacob, you might doubt it. Like Jacob, at times you might look at your circumstances or your situation and say, God, where are you? God, this feels empty. God, I'm not experiencing your presence. God, where is your joy? God, raising kids is hard. God, this new job is terrible. God, our neighbors are so difficult. God, there's been conflict in the church through the pandemic over protocols. God, where are you? God says, I've never left. I've never left. I'm right here. And all authority belongs to me. And I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jacob experiences this moment with God. This is what happens, verse 16. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. I was not aware of it. He was afraid. Why? I'll come back to that in a second. And said, how awesome is this place. There is none other than the house of the Lord. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head. He set up a pillar. He poured oil on top of it. He called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey that I am taking, I, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so I return safely from my father's house, then the Lord will be my God, and this is the stone that I have set up as a pillar. It will be God's house, and all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Just note a few things. Jacob wakes up, and he says, wow, God is here. God is here. God is here. There are times in our lives when we experience the presence of God by his Spirit so profoundly that we should just pause and say, God is here. It might be in that devotional reading. It might be at a conference. It might be in a worship moment when you're gathered with God's people. It might be when you're experiencing nature. Amy and I last week were away with our family and a few times when I was just out looking on the lake in the Canadian Shield. We were about 40 kilometers north of Perry Sound on this, this lake and this, this cottage that was fairly secluded. 
I mean, the nearest restaurant was uh, several kilometers away, and it was a chip wagon, which we didn't consider a restaurant. Um, the local uh, uh, marina advertised that they had a, a, like, a, a, like a pizza place. And we got there. I, I sent pictures to my brother and to Ethan. Ethan loved this. Ethan and Abby came up for a few days. We bought pizza from him. It was a box that cooked your pizza in three minutes. It was a box at the marina. I went down to look, and I'm like, Amy, the restaurant is a box. That you, and we tried it. I'm not going to give my comments. You can ask me pri uh, privately. This is, this is recorded. I'll just leave it at that. It was pizza-ish. Uh, and so, and so, and so we looked, though, out when I was standing out at the edge of the lake, looking out at sunsets, sunrises, looking out at the calm water in the morning or the wave water. It was just stunning. And in that moment, you could just worship God. You could just be like, God, you did this. You, you put the Canadian shield in place. You told this lake where it would go. You created the trees I'm seeing around you. Jacob had this encounter with God, and the first thing he does is he recognizes it. Do you recognize when God's speaking to you? Do you recognize when his spirit is prodding at your heart. But he was afraid. It's one of the things that Jacob's going to struggle with. This isn't simply the fear that we find when we stand in awe of God, though he does say that. How awesome is this place? This word is a word that's idea. It can be translated frightened. Jacob is actually frightened. He's frightened two other times. We won't get to them today. He's frightened when he leaves with Rachel and uh, and Leah, and he leaves Laban. He's frightened. He tells Laban that I was frightened. And he's frightened also when he's going to meet his brother Esau. He sends his kids first. Like, who does that? A frightened man. That's why God promises to be with him right to the end. That's why God doesn't just promise to give him things, but God says, I will be with you. I'm not just giving you stuff. I'm giving you me. And I am walking with you. And maybe you're someone who struggles with being frightened, with being frightened. In this moment, as he's encountered God, I believe for the first time in his life, as he's encountered God and come face to face with God, and God turns a fugitive into family in this moment, into a pilgrim, he's frightened. But he worships God. He takes the stone that he placed his head on, he lifts it up into a different position, and he calls the place Bethel, saying that God was here. This is the presence of the Lord. And then he makes a vow. Notice God is central to that vow, although he wants God to do certain things, as he will follow and worship. But then he says, God, I will come back here, and I will give you a tenth of everything you've granted me. Notice he knows where everything he has comes from. He says it in verse 22. All you have given me, Everything we have is the Lord's. It belongs to him. Every single solitary dime we have is God's. And Jacob says, I'm going to honor you with a tenth. I'm going to honor you with a tenth. I'm going to do that. It's one of the things God calls us to, isn't it? Honoring him. This is, this is prior to God's command to this. We saw Abraham do this with Melchizedek. We now see Jacob doing this as he comes in the presence of God. Because there's something about coming into the presence of God and recognizing that who you are and everything you have being a gift from Him. You recognize that your talents, your abilities, who you are, and everything you have, they're simply gifts from God. They're simply that which God has given you, that which God has blessed you with. And so you give a portion back to Him saying, God, this was all yours from the beginning. 
Have you done that even through the pandemic? Have you honored God with your wealth? I mean, I know some people have gone through hard times and they've just stopped giving to the Lord. Like that's somewhere in Scripture, just stop giving to the Lord. And then they're wanting to know where God's blessing is. I, I know others who've, who've, through the pandemic, been more worried about hard times. They've actually done better than they thought. But in their concern for what might happen, they've hoarded what is God's. And they've not honored him with their wealth. And they've just kept it to themselves. They've just said, it's mine. And then they wonder where God's blessing is. God, where are you? When Abraham, who's an incredibly wealthy man, and so powerful that he has his own secret service that goes to rescue Lot. So powerful that kings come to him to create treaties with him. That's how powerful Abraham was. When Abraham, who was that powerful and that everyone recognized was that uniquely close to God, came in contact with someone greater than he, Melchizedek, what did he do? He worshipped God by granting Melchizedek, who he recognized as someone with a greater connection to God than him with a tenth. And when Jacob here comes face to face with God, part of his worship is saying, God, a tenth of all you give me, I'm giving back to you. It's part of his worship. It's part of his recognizing the presence of God. And it's common in Scripture. And so this simple place becomes a shrine. This stone becomes an altar. This fugitive becomes a pilgrim. And God's gracious hand is revealed you see, we desperately need God. Jacob had created a strategy. Even though God had said the younger will serve the older, Jacob had created a strategy. What was his strategy? He was going to deceive his dad, which he did. First, he stole his brother's birthright by negotiating it for stew. And then he deceived his dad. And so as he's fleeing from this whole situation, I'm sure he's thinking, well, God's not with me. Aren't you glad that God's grace rests on God's abundant forgiveness and on our obedience? Is that not good news? Is it not good news that God's grace rests on the fact that it overflows from his nature and character? Jacob doesn't deserve this grace, but it's what God gives him. Then Jacob continued on his way, chapter 29, verse 1. On his journey, he came to the land of the eastern peoples. There was a well in an open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone of the mouth of the well was large. When the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. And then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. I need to explain that briefly. People would buy for these, these wells. They would claim that they were theirs. And so there's a huge stone over this well. There's three groups of sheep that are there, three flocks that are there. And these shepherds would move the stone over and then move it back so no one could use it. And then they just kind of sat there kind of guarding it, even though it wasn't their well necessarily. So there they are guarding their well. Jacob asked the shepherds, my brothers, where are you from? He's very friendly. We're from Haran. He said to them, do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Oh, yeah, we know him. Then Jacob said to them, is he well? Yes, and here comes his daughter Rachel with the sheep. Look, he said, the sun is still high. It's not time for your flocks to be gathered. Water your sheep and take them back to pasture. He's trying to get them to remove the stone because he sees Rachel coming with her sheep. He wants them to remove this large stone so that she can water her sheep. That's what he's doing here. He says, guys, guys, it's not time to take your sheep back. Don't be gathering them. 
Don't cover up the well yet. Let your sheep be well fed. Remove that stone. Look, he said, oh, sorry, I, verse 8. We can't, they replied. We can't. All the flocks are gathered. The stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. And the stone is rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep until all the flocks are gathered. He says, we can't do it. These guys are just lying about. The sheep are kind of gathered. They're just like there, enjoying, you know, chewing on the, the grass, lying in the sun or in the shade, whatever it would be. And they're just lazy. This is, this is the contrast of Jacob and them. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was also a shepherd. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban, and Laban's sheep, he went over, he rolled away the stone uh, from the mouth of the well, and he watered his uncle's sheep. So in that moment, he sees Rachel. He thinks, wow. And he has enough adrenaline in that moment to take the stone away that would have taken several men to take it away. In that moment, he has Samson-like strength. He's like, whew, look at her. Right? He sees her. I'm pointing behind you, Rochelle, to Amy. Just, just, I'll leave Mike to point to you. And uh, I just thought, you know, that could look really awkward there. Um, and, so, and so he has the strength, and he just takes the stone, and he just throws it away. He just, well, he doesn't throw it. That's it. That text doesn't say that. But he moves it, and he waters Rachel's sheep. Guys, do you remember those moments in your life when you were able to do that? I'm not talking about moving the stone. But in that moment when you first recognize this is the woman for me, you're like, Wow. Then Jacob kissed her. Now that's a little shocking in this moment. And began to weep out loud. Now this is a kiss of greeting. This is not to our sensitivities. He didn't go up and say, you know, hey. Right? He just kind of greeted her with a kiss. He weeps out loud. He tells Rachel he's a relative of her father, a son of Rebekah. And in that conversation, he must have said something about, I've come here for a wife. And she runs to tell her father. Runs to tell him. And what does Jacob see? The hand of his God is with him. God is with him. As soon as Laban heard about the news, the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him. He kissed him. He brought him into his home, and Jacob told all of these things. And Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. You are my relative. And he invited him to stay. So after Jacob had stayed for a month, Laban asked him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for nothing? Tell me your wages. What would they be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes. The idea there is, is, is she wasn't as stunning to look at. Rachel had a lovely figure. She was beautiful. And Jacob was in love with Rachel, and he said, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now this is a deal. A dowry would need to be paid, but he could have paid it in a year or two. And Jacob says, I'm so in love with your daughter, I'll work for seven years for her. When you calculate what a dower would be worth, easily within two years, Jacob could have paid it. Likely in less than that. And he says, I'll work for seven for her. Laban says, well, it's better that I give her to you than some other man, so stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed. I want to make love to her. I want to consummate a marriage. So Laban brought together all the people of the place. They gave a big feast. This, is, this was how they did it. There was no religious ceremony. There was no priest or pastor that showed up. They have a big feast. When evening came, he took his daughter Leah, brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. 
And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as an attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, why is this you've done, why is, uh, what is this you've done to me? I have served you for Rachel, didn't I? And you have deceived me. Laban replied, it is not our custom to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, and then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. Now, we hear this, and everything about 2021 makes us think, what? Like, what is going on here? I mean, how do you not know your bride on your wedding night? But they didn't. So there's a feast, right? There's a feast that goes on. There's probably three reasons why Jacob didn't know who he was with. There's a feast that goes on. In the feast, Jacob would have drank something. I'm not in any way saying he would have been drunk. I am just saying that there would have been a feast going on where you're celebrating. Then you have to it that Leah is fully veiled. So Jacob's not able to see who she is. He's assuming it's Rachel. Obviously, Leah is part of the plot. Obviously, Rachel's part of the plot. Rachel's dad has said, you go away. Rachel's not even there. I mean, um, um, Jacob never even realized, why isn't Leah here? Because Leah was the one with him. Brought into the tent, it's completely and utterly dark after the feast, right? So the feast happens, it's pitch black. No candles, no lights. Brings her into the tent. Makes love to her, which is the consummation of marriage for them, like in that day. Not saying that's what makes someone marry today. Got to clear that up. And he wakes up and he's like, whoa, you are not Rachel. Could you imagine that moment? Could you imagine waking up the morning after your wedding and being with someone else? Being with your spouse's sibling? Whoa! He goes to Laban, he's like, what's going on? And the deceiver, Jacob has been deceived by Laban, he's met his match. And in that moment, Jacob realizes it because Laban says what? What's, what's he say? He says, it's not in our custom to give the younger child before the firstborn. And everything would have flashed back for Jacob in that moment, right? Because he was the second child who had to deceive, he believed, to get the inheritance of the firstborn. Everything would have just flashed back. But he wanted Rachel. And so he said, well, you finish this week, this week of festivities, this wedding week with Leah, and at the end of the week, you can have Rachel too. So he's in one week, which is him and Leah. At the end of that week, he now has Rachel. And now he's married to Rachel, and he works for another seven years for Laban. Now, when Paul gets into this next week and Rachel and Leah begin to have children, I believe that that likely started, I don't believe this is sequential in terms of the verses, that likely started during these seven years. It talks about how he worked for seven years, then it goes into how they started to have kids. I don't think they started, to, I don't think Leah started to have children after seven years. I likely think that what he's saying is this is a comment on how long he worked for him, and then and then it moves into the commentary of the 12 tribes of Israel being birthed to Jacob through Leah, Rachel, and others. Well, Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, verse 28, and then Laban gave his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bela to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. And Jacob made love to Rachel, and his love for Rachel was greater than that of Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. Let me say three things as I close today. The first is this. We need to establish altars of 
remembrance. We need to establish altars of remembrance. In the Old Testament, they established literal altars. Now, I'm not encouraging you to go onto people's private properties. When I experienced God this last week at the cottage and just felt in moments of worship, I did not set up some type of altar that was there. But too often in our lives, we just forget these moments where God has worked, where God has acted, where God has spoken, where God has promised, where God has revealed. We just forget. We just move on. And whether you keep a little diary where you write them in, you tap something into your phone, or you put something on the social media page that's a reminder for you, it's just critical that each of us have within our Christian memory moments where we go, yeah, God spoke here. God met me here. God provided here. God acted here. God worked here. God healed here. Whatever it would be. We desperately need these moments where we remember, I saw the hand of the Lord in this place. He granted me his presence where where we can claim his promises. We can remember his mighty works in our lives. It's so important because it's as we recall those things and as we reflect on the word, which is sure and active, living and active, true, that often in those moments of doubt, God carries us through. Often in those moments of doubt, God says, I'm right here. I'm right here. I haven't left you. I haven't forsaken you. I haven't abandoned you. And so it's important to be able to recall those things. Some people talk to me about why I love to be a storyteller. I love to recount the ways that I've seen God work in the lives of people. I love to do it, including my own life. I mean, I I think of this whole building and being here and simply see the hand of the Lord God Almighty that when this building wasn't for sale, they sold it to us. That when we had no place to go, the Board of Education gave us, in, in a day of incredible controversy, their building for free. I mean, we told them we'd pay for it. They said, no, you have such a great partnership with us. It's free, and it was free for almost a decade, almost a decade. At certain junctures where we needed God's provision, he just showed up. And time and time again, we just go, this was the hand of the Lord. This was the hand of the Lord. That's one instance. That's a building. I can talk about it in our marriage. I can talk about it with our children. I can talk about it in ways where I I have seen God's hand at work. I mean, the night Jewel and Ivy were born, when they were one pound and 13 ounces and two pounds and nine ounces, And the doctors looked at me and said, if you lived in 85% of the world tonight, your wife and daughters would be dead as they were rushing them into emergency surgery, right? This was just just after the surgery. And then they looked at me and they said, after the twins were born and they 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 were caring for Amy in that moment, the doctor said to me, and we don't think your daughters will live. I can recount times where I've seen the hand of the Lord or I've seen answers to prayers. I know he doesn't always answer our prayers the way we want them to be prayed, but it's why we want you to come on Tuesday nights. We want to gather as a family of believers and pray. It's the foundation of our relationship with God, prayer and the word. So we need to set up altars of remembrance to be able to recount where God has worked. Secondly, we need to grow in our trust of God. The altars of remembrance help with that. We need to grow in our trust of of God. We need to believe his word. His word is trustworthy and true. We need to believe his word. We need to be people who are delving into this book. This is how we know who God is, who we are, and how we relate to him. 
not the latest cultural theory. It's right here. It's his word, praise his name, that he's granted us. As we need to grow in our trust of the Lord to continue to grow in that. And lastly, we need to remember, and Kevin, you guys can come up, that God is always faithful to his promises. Is that not good news? God is always faithful to his promises, always. God will never let you down. He is fully dependable. He does not change. God will never leave or forsake you. Is that not good news? All authority belongs on him. What does he tell us? There is no condemnation for anyone in Christ Jesus. Is that not great news today? Is it not great news that God does not treat us the way we deserve? Instead, God treats us the way his son deserves? For anyone, anywhere, anytime, whom God's spirit has been working in it, and who changes their, their, their alliance from what they've been believing in to believing in him. That's the gospel of John, right? Belief is the theme of the gospel of John. It's all over John. In fact, John says at the end of his gospel, I've written these things that you would believe. And whenever we come to that place, we come to that recognition, we go to that place, is it not good news that God doesn't turn anyone away? Is it not good news that when you are God's child, God has sealed you until the end? And you're sealing your inheritance in a place that cannot perish, spoil, or fade. Because when he looks at you, he now sees his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise his name. God's promises are certain and true. He is a great God. And so we set up altars of remembrance to say, God met me here. God spoke to me here. God showed up here. God provided here. We learn to continue to grow in our trust of him. He is our God. Oh, God, help me to trust in you. And we cling to his promises. They are faithful and sure. Will you pray with me? God, we are thankful for the ways that you use your word in our lives. We're thankful for Jacob and how you spoke to him powerfully, God, in the midst of his fleeing and doubt. God, may you speak to us also. We thank you that you do through your spirit, by your word. And so may you speak to us also powerfully, God. May you cause us to remember moments and times where we've seen you work, your hand upon us. God, may we learn to grow in our trust for you. And may we acknowledge, God, not just with our lips but with our lives, that your promises are always true. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.